Hi, and thank you for clicking to listen to this episode. If you are listening to this on the 11th of January in the morning when this episode is released for the first time, you still have time to join and sign up to our free event on returning from maternity leave, which is at 1pm UK time. The details are on our website, leadersplus.org.uk forward slash events. Also, don't forget that our applications to our award-winning fellowship program are still open. You'll get a senior leader mentor, a really amazing group of peers, structured career development support, and most importantly, time to think about what you want in your career and family life and how to get there in a way that works for you. Everything is on leadersplus.org.uk, but let me know if you have any questions. Let's get stuck into the episode. Family is not the problem, but it's made to feel like it's a problem if you also want to do more than be at home. And some people choose that route. And if they can afford to do that, you know, and and they are happy like that, then that's great. So I think that, um, yeah, how do we escape that, you know, that idea that we should be doing the homemade Christmas decorations and all those other things and, and not feel guilty about it? I mean, I think so much of it is just that we pile guilt on ourselves. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. I'm Felina Hefti and I believe absolutely no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, amazing people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. And this can lead to gender inequality at the top and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations and our world. I want us all together to change this. And in fact, I hope that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world better. Beyond the podcast, I'm also the CEO and founder of the award-winning Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from amazing like-minded peers, if you want to join our free events, we've got one coming up about returning to work in January, or if you want to find out about our world-class career development program, our fellowship programs for parents, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. Today's podcast guest is Professor Tina Miller. She is an expert on caring and she and I share an interest about this question, why do we have a society where caring is still expected to be a very female-dominated role and what we need to do as organisations, as individuals, to address this problem of lopsided caring roles, especially in heteronormative relationships. This was a conversation I honestly, I wish I had five years ago. I found it very, very profound. And also it was brilliant to meet someone quite like-minded. And I think you'll find her fantastic to listen to. Enjoy. Fantastic. Thanks so much. So let's get started with you introducing yourself, who you are, who's in your family and what you do for work. Great. So I'm Tina Miller. And uh, in my family, I have three daughters who are all grown up. And in fact, two of them have children now as well. So it's very interesting to see mothering a, a generation on. And for me, grandmothering, grandparenting. I'm a sociologist. I'm an academic. I've lived and worked in other parts of the world, which I think is really important to how I understand parenting. And I'm a professor of sociology at Oxford Brookes University. 
Currently, we have an extended family because we also have a Ukrainian family living with us. Fantastic. And I'm sure you're getting an insight into a, a different way of, of being a parent just by the fact of having someone yeah. with you. Exactly. And also actually being watchful and careful to allow that parenting to occur without really it will not intervening in any way. I mean, I think parenting is a very individual thing. And I think the worst thing, being a refugee, would coming to our house and having a commentary on or suggest, I mean, I, I make suggestions. Well, actually about school attendance, there's quite a cultural difference around that and illness. But apart from that, I really do try to step back because I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think parenting so hard and unless you're asking for it, I don't think people need a lot of advice. Mm, that's true. But we all can't help it. We have opinion, don't we, about what a good parent, a good mother is and a good father. And even you are second guessing those opinions and analyzing them, you still do have them. I do anyways. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's actually one of the things I ask in my research is someone, men and women. So I've done research with women becoming mothers for the first time and then men becoming fathers for the first time. And it's always a really interesting question to ask them about what they think a good mother or a good father might be, what might be the sort of characteristics and equally what a bad mother or father might look like or what might they do, etc. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We all hold these ideas of where we think sort of less than good. I mean, obviously, we know about horrible cases of parenting where there's abuse and things. So sort of one extreme, well, one end of the spectrum. But yeah, we all carry around ideas of what good and, and bad parenting look like. And before I had my own children, I think those ideas were much more definite. You know, in the supermarket, you see that child screaming for something and then, you know, this sort of altercation going on. You think, I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, you know, surely they can control that child. Well, I mean, you realize once you've got your own kids, just how tough it is to be trying to manage a weekly shop and kids and other things. It's so much tougher. So I think once you have the experience yourself, although we carry those ideas in our head, we can relate to, to ideas of good and bad parenting, for example. I think we're kinder when we see other parents, perhaps with a two-year-old out of control. Mm, very true. That's very true. I recently, this is outside of the topic of this podcast, but I recently hit a low point, or my, me and my partner did anyways, where one of our lovely children was screaming so much that the neighbors came around. And our neighbors are not the judgmental kind. They're very, very friendly. And I think <laughs> 10 years ago, I would definitely have judged any parent whose child is screaming so much that you can hear it through, through the walls and does, does so repeatedly. However, you know, you, you just evolve. So... Let me ask you a question I ask of all our podcast guests. What did you used to believe about combining a big career with young kids that you don't believe anymore? I mean, that is a great question. I mean, in lots of ways, in my own case, actually, I can talk about that in my own case, it's, you know, my experiences, but also something that's coming out of the research that I've just conducted, because I think that's interesting and really related to this point too, and is more contemporary account in some ways. But I think, I mean, I sort of stumbled into, you know, I didn't know that I was going to become a professor or that I was going to be an academic. And it was really only when I became a professor, which was 12 years ago, after many years of working in academia, that I sort of thought, oh, this is probably what I do then. This is my big job. 
and and I'm delighted to have it because I feel very very lucky with the sorts of you know the fact that I can research areas such as parenting talk to people meet people meet different groups of people you know do all sorts of things and try to make a change through that research you know working with different think tanks and political groups and things like that so I think I thought it would be difficult and at times it's been really difficult but I also felt like it was my responsibility to manage the sort of, you know, the dashing back from a seminar, the being the parent who was late to collect the child from nursery. I sort of, I felt that as a very individual sort of sense of responsibility, which is ridiculous because actually, you know, I've got a husband, they've got a perfectly great dad who was actually also involved in lots of ways, but definitely his career took priority at that time when my children were younger. So for me, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I always thought it was going to be tough. I also didn't realise that I was doing a big job. So there were these sort of slightly different realities going on. I mean, I I think it's not necessarily different, but I I think, I mean, I'm really, this is really odd to say, but I'm delighted in some ways that, that we're having this conversation, that there's much more visibility with women in particular, but it could be dads too, but women talking about, you know, the complete contradictions that we now face, which is, of course, you can have a career. Of course, women can do brilliantly in education, university, if they choose that route, etc. that you can do these things. And the silence around that is, how do we do it? You know, where's the childcare that's affordable, that is joined up, that is available, that is seen as part of that package? And in the research that I've just been conducting, a lot of the women, so they, the first interview is when they're about seven or eight months pregnant with their first child. And it's quite a strong discussion that, that comes out. I mean, it's, there are questions that prompt some discussions, but there is this sort of discourse of balance that they will be balancing work and family life once they have the new baby. This disappears across the year after the birth of the following interviews in that that sense of we will balance it, which implies sharing, and they often use the word sharing, but that it would even be possible to do. And there is usually, in the majority of couples, not all, some manage to split it down the middle, but others do end up doing more of the caring, more of the everyday thinking. And I think that's the thing, sort of mental load, that they take that on. And I'm I'm so disappointed that that's the case. Yeah, and that really does tally with my experience. You find people who are absolute feminists, both, let's take a hetero couple, both man and woman, both feminists, and then somehow, over the course of maternity leave, things change. And by the time the woman goes back to work, if she does, she is the main caregiver and does all the mental load. Do you have a theory about why that happens, why women are still often taking on that caring role? I really think that, I mean, a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people would say that this is a biological sort of predisposition and all of those sorts of things. And my findings and why I'm delighted that I've always researched women and men in different studies, but is that the birth of a child for men and for women, it's a really golden moment, of course, in so many ways, but of opportunity because a father will want to protect and nurture that newborn baby just as much as the mother. You know, there is just an, it's, and I've seen it in research with very young fathers, 
16 years old even. But this moment of sort of connection and sense of a new life and a responsibility and opportunity, but wanting, you know, you would do anything for that newborn life to continue. And what we do in our society is then very quickly frame who we think should be caring. Now, breastfeeding is one part of this that we could come back to, but frame very quickly this idea that that women are the primary carer. And so if you look at amounts of leave, maternity leave and paternity leave, I know we have shared parental leave that's really not fit for practice for you know many, many parents. And so I think we immediately start to construct our ideas around how caring in society should take place. And then what happens, the next step, is that actually the mums who may very well find that this hasn't felt like a natural progression and they actually don't know what to do with the new baby, but they acquire the skills quickly with the father as well alongside in those first couple of weeks if they've got time together. The father then returns to work and in heterosexual couples, it's the mum who becomes more and more skilled, more and more adept at understanding what a particular cry might mean, you know, feeding, how best position to win the baby and things like that. And all of those spoken and unspoken types of actions and behaviours, you know, it's quicker to do it yourself in the end, because by the time you've explained and everyone's tired and their husband's just about, you know, everything, it's just easier to get on and do it yourself. Absolutely. And it's hard to hear a baby cry when you know exactly what to do because you've heard that particular cry five times. And also you've, by that time you've developed, you know what needs doing. And I mean, I speak from personal experience, I will want my partner to do exactly what I would be doing, which is the other side of it. Yeah, no, it's a really important point. And, and it's hard to see your partner not quite have the baby in the right position, even though you might have told them 10 times before that, you know, you need to do this in order to, this is, you know, where, how to win most successfully or whatever. So you can just see how very quickly this sort of golden moment of, of really both parents wanting to share, wanting to absolutely nurture and protect that life, then unravel in particular ways. And the time that the father has away from yeah, the child. All of that time means it's filled with the mother developing more and more expertise. And so really quickly, despite the best of intentions, and I think lots of parents have the best of intentions in terms of wanting to share the load, but actually the history of who earns most money. So all sorts of other things also play into that. And I spoke about shared parental leave earlier. Well, I mean, it's taken up by very few people. Criteria quite difficult to meet to take that up. But again, generally, when you have a new baby, costs increase and it's not a time for the person who earns most, which is likely to be the male partner, to take the leave. So, you know, there are so many things that conspire against really giving men an opportunity or dads an opportunity to have some time, particularly solo caring. We know from other research in other countries and the UK, that's really important that a dad could have a period. It doesn't have to be that long of solo caring where they take, he will take responsibility, make decisions, work out how to win the baby, what to feed the baby, all of those things. And But actually, we just the structures still continue to believe 
and reinforce the idea that this is what women should be doing. Mm. Couldn't agree more. So you mentioned share parental leave. It's a small number, but do we know what the impact is on that caring balance if the man takes share parental leave? I think that, I mean, my hope is that when we have those types of policies could eventually lead to a reframing of caring. I mean, we need elder care. We need, you know, caring is an activity that happens through life. And I think it's really good. We really need to have men recognised and identified as carers too. So I think the early months and years of parenthood are a good, you know, fantastic opportunity for men to be involved because I think it has longer term consequences. Shared parental leave, of course, is, I mean, there there certainly have been successes. There's some really interesting research going on by researchers in Manchester and I think Leeds, Ben Corain and Emma Bannister. And they have produced a range of materials where, you know, they have spoken to parents who view shared parental leave and they have spoken about the change it does make having this time you know, a significant period of, I don't know, perhaps three months or however it is organised, being responsible and making those daily decisions that otherwise, you know, we're always debriefing partners. So so for men to take those on and to have that time. But I mean, it's a disappointing scheme because, because of the various eligibility criteria are quite hard to meet. And then there are all those other considerations in terms of can we afford to do it? Exactly. And I'm still surprised how it is legal that the same employer can pay enhanced maternity pay, but not enhanced share parental leave pay or adoption leave pay for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today and there'd been a lot in the news about flexibility and working. And, you know, surely in contemporary society, we should be able to organise a workplace that recognises that men and women both work and both could care and that hours at work do not equate equally to productivity, that actually a healthy working environment, perhaps condensed hours, but flexibility actually generally leads to better productivity. I'm saying that anecdotally because I haven't checked the figures, but I mean, that is certainly my sense of the research in the area that you will get better productivity from people who are happy in their work and they're probably happy in their work because of the flexibility they've got. And we have a whole range of people coming out on Twitter, et cetera, saying it's time to get people back into the workplace, that we should, this is sort of madness to be thinking about flexibility. And I'm afraid the people who are coming out and saying that are not young parents. They're certainly not women. They seem to be, I'm afraid, you know, a particular demographic of old white men who probably have never thought about or changed nappies or thought about, you know, how do you manage a career which you're entitled to and a family life which you're entitled to? Yeah, it's very, very true what you say. What is your view of the impact of women being expected to lead the caring side on the career progression? Well, we absolutely know it affects it. I mean, we know that you know, we, we know that we have the motherhood penalty, the gender pay gap, and although there's been work in that area with companies having to, you know, produce stats and figures around sort of pay and pay gaps and things like that related to gender. But I think, I mean, part of it 
is also in our heads. I mean, I think that, and, and I think part of how we're socialized as women and all the, you know, there are multiple ways on a daily basis, messages reinforce the idea that it's mums who are responsible, whether that's at school and the wrong things being packed or someone's forgotten something. Even in lockdown, there was a moment and the government quickly retracted it, but they produced a poster about you know being at home and the sort of staying at home with COVID, et cetera, et cetera, and what people were doing. And all of the representations of caring were women. I mean, they very quickly, I mean, it was down within you know a couple of hours, if not sooner. I mean, I found the poster the other day because I just think it's really interesting that even the government still sees women. And a lot of women in lockdown, yeah, they were certainly caring for kids, but they were also trying to keep careers going, doing all sorts of things as well. But even, you know, in 2022, a government poster still. And where are the, you know, men, I would feel angry as a man as well if I thought I was a competent carer and I'm not represented there. So in all sorts of subtle ways, messages reinforce that women you know, the buck stops with, with women in relation to their children. Mm. Yeah. And we really do need to change it. But I think there is also something I'm speaking here just from hearing quite a lot of our fellows. So, you know, we run this month fellowship program where we support parents to progress their careers and quite a lot of the fellows and I, I am the same actually share that Part of it is also that they have really high expectations of themselves because you'd see what is expected and you're being told on Instagram about, uh, you get messages from school about what to read. And then you have your own mother who possibly was a stay-at-home mother. And therefore there's a complete, I mean, I had such high expectations of all the Christmas craft activities. I don't know why I didn't rationalize it, but I just, in my mind, I want my children all to experience all the amazing Christmassy things that I had. And my mother worked a lot less than I do. Also, and I'm, you know, she also ran her own organization as a, as a GP. But still, anyways, the bottom line is I've definitely put some big expectations on myself, which I'm clear to report. I completely failed. There's absolutely no <laughs> Christmas craft happening in my house and the children are, aren't sadder for it. But still, I feel like, oh, why did I not do this? So long story cut short, what's your reflection about women putting expectations on themselves based on what they see a mother should be doing? Yeah, certainly sort of, you know, the digital landscape helps to reinforce sort of particular ideas and ideals of what we think other women are doing. I mean, often when you actually talk to other women, they're feeling just as you are. Oh my goodness, so-and-so's doing this. Or I really would want to do it, but I haven't got time and it's not going to happen in this house. But feeling that that's something that isn't part of publicly how they want to present as a mother. Again, you know, I think that there are things that women have to also give up. You know, if we want to try to change, I mean, I think we need a much better, we need much better support through policies and all sorts of things. We always, sorry, this is slightly tangential, but I will come back to your point. But, you know, when we think of how do we fit work and family life together, we start with work. Whereas if we thought, okay, family life is really important and how can the workplace be flexible enough and you know respond to needs that a family might need and work together in that way. So we sort of start for me from the wrong end. Whereas if we thought, how do we design, you know, we've got families really important. And it really is on all sorts of levels. I mean, family is important. These aren't 
just lifestyle choices that people are making, although it might be or feel like that, whether you want to have a child or not. But we do need people to have children and family and relationships. We know they're so good for mental health, for all sorts of things. So it's not, family's not the problem, but it's made to feel like it's a problem if you also want to do more than be at home. And some people choose that route. And if they can afford to do that, you know, and, and they are happy like that, then that's great. So I think that, um, yeah, how do we escape that, you know, that idea that we should be doing the homemade Christmas decorations and all those other things and and not feel guilty about it? I mean, I think so much of it is just that we pile guilt on ourselves. And I, you know, I absolutely recognise that from when my children were younger too, you know, driving home madly so I could make a homemade birthday cake when actually the kids would have much preferred something from the shop. I felt I had to actually make the cake. And where on earth does that come from? Well, it came from some other people I knew who didn't work or people whose kids always had a great cake or, you know, we are always positioning our own experiences in relation to others. And then, as I say, the digital landscape just has opened up a whole range of other ways of seeing what women do. But I think when you mostly talk to women one-to-one, you do find out that presentation belies the reality of houses that are, you know, chaotic houses and all sorts of things, <laughs> feeding kids. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm laughing because my house definitely meets that definition. And also, I think all the, you know, the very structured, I won't move my, my Zoom camera now, but you, I've heard so many people say they are positioning their Zoom camera <laughs> so that nobody can see the actual okay. mess there is around them and the, <laughs> the kids' house. And I, th- I think that is so, so true. And we're just, we're putting the expectations on ourselves, but by trying to pursue them, we're also influencing our friends to be under the same sort of pressure which is rubbish. But you said something about redesigning the workplace completely from scratch around families and not to put you on the spot, but I'm very intrigued by that. How would you, how would you start? If we were starting with a blank piece of paper, I mean, most people, you know, we wouldn't start from where we are in the way, you know, the sort of structures that we have in place. But if we were starting with a blank piece of paper, I mean, I would really want to see our society think about, of course, we need economic we need production, we need a work, you know, most parents, most families in the UK are working, they are working households, that might not be two full time jobs. But the norm now in the UK is that we have working families, but we don't have a society that that supports that. But if you think of, you know, I mean, I think it's an interesting question, what would you prioritise if you had a blank piece of paper and were starting to design a workplace that worked with and for families? And for me, it would be really prioritizing caring and caring responsibilities across the life course. You think of the social care problems we have now that we have, you know, part of problems in the NHS are well, effectively bed blocking. I mean, it's an unkind term, but that people are who could go home or could need to receive care, but it cannot be arranged for them in a whole range of settings. So so we have a huge problem. It's something we really have to face. But if we took caring across the life course as something that as a society we think should be valued, should be well paid. I don't mean childcare in that sense, but if we sort of drew, you know, used that had that on a blank piece of paper that caring was something that as a society we really were going to value and we were going to allow people to have time. That's not just children, but time 
to provide caring at some point in their week. And I can think of people in their 50s and 60s who might not have children but have elderly parents where that would make such a difference. So that's why if we could elevate caring, and it's just so sad how invisible and undervalued caring is in our society. So if we could really revert that position and have caring as this sort of thread that ran along across the life course, that we valued it, that it was something that people had an obligation in some ways, or that there were responsibilities associated with it, and that the workplace should recognise those. And then we had a workplace which meant that each week you could choose, for example. So then we'd need childcare in place that was joined up. You know, there is no childcare, well, that is for some people, but, you know, after maternity leave, I mean, it's a craziness that it, we don't then have childcare immediately available. We know that childcare in the UK is usually either the most expensive or the second most expensive, depending on sort of different reports that you read. And so we'd have childcare that was regarded as a good, as a sort of pedagogic, and I don't mean we should be hothousing kids at all, but there was a safe environment and a great environment in which kids could learn to play, interact with others, all those things. So, so I think I would want to elevate caring and then I would want to put in place a support mechanisms so that we could then go to work happily, work hours and days that worked for us, but recognise this, I think this just human capacity that we have to care, but that we have to almost pretend that we're not caring because in work, we have to pretend that actually everything is just fitted in around the edges. And I think that's why many parents feel completely frazzled trying to do both. Mm. Yeah, I could definitely sign up to a society like that. I'm interested about how the your research has influenced your your own advice that you give to people that you care about, for example, your children who now have their own children. Do you remember something that you found out recently in the research that you really wanted to pass on to your next generation? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I do try not to. I mean, obviously, we know that that trends and ideas change and lots of things, you know, so those, so the things that are different since my children were babies you know, are those sleep bags that they sleep in, white noise, all sorts of things that parents might now use. I think mostly what I tried to do, and I've been very fortunate, I have three daughters, two have children. And, you know, I've been sort of fortunately so far warmly welcomed and around to, you know, as they've gone into labour and there when they've come, they've gone to hospital to have a baby and, and come back with the baby. And most, what I really thought was the most important thing I could do and I really learned lots from my mum, who is no longer alive, but it was a great, she was a fantastic grandmother. She was just brilliant. And she seemed to be able to placate any baby and all sorts of things. And I realised actually a lot of it is about displacement activities. But I really wanted to let the girls know that babies are incredibly robust. I mean, obviously, don't throw them around, but they're, you know, they're, they're much more robust than they appear. And that there is no one way of doing, or no right way of doing, you know, there's a whole range of ways of doing caring. And you find that once you go on to have more babies, that one thing that worked for one baby perhaps won't for your second or whatever. So it's really trying to give them permission and also giving them permission not to think that they had to follow, you know, but this says that or this says that. And I think there is... Now, so much information out there that people can feel completely overwhelmed 
with you know all sorts of things on forums and, and other places. So I think mostly I was. I mean, because actually I don't. I don't think. I mean, it would be great to hear what the girls would say about my mothering. I think they just thought, oh, I was often doing quite a lot of reading and writing things, and and we often ate the same food. <laughs> you know, I certainly don't think of myself as an ex. I'm an expert on research into parenting but not on I wouldn't ever sort of want to say I am an expert on pet on how to do parenting because you know I wouldn't claim that at all and wouldn't want that title either mm, absolutely and just to finish I'm interested so I'm picturing someone I know who's listening to this podcast who is in a who is a feminist her partner is her male partner is feminist as well but she says she even though her male partner is one of the most supportive men in the social relationships she still is really annoyed at the fact that she's leading everything mm. do you have any practical tip anything that she could try out this week so that she starts to become less of the leader of the household and the leader of the children it's a hard thing to do it is a hard thing to do because I think very often because we've come so practiced even in the first few months of mothering that it's hard to see someone else do things in a way that we might not do them. But I think that one suggestion would be to say, to actually hand over, if this is possible, on Saturday morning, afternoon, Saturday day or whatever, you know, that I'm going out and can you get the baby up? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you? And you have to go with whatever the baby's dressed in. And I can tell you one of the things in the fatherhood study is that they said they always dress the baby in the wrong thing or the toddler in the wrong thing. They always feed them the wrong thing or at the wrong time. And there's and so I recognize it myself that it's you have to hand over, but you have to do it. So it's not about leaving notes, debriefing in that way. It's about really starting to try to give the person, the partner, solo responsibility. And so often, you know, long lists are left and, you know, very precise things. And there's a lot, there are many more routines now in, in how we raise our children than in, in sort of some previous generations, which are necessary very often if, because of people working and because we expect to have more control in our lives than we did perhaps 30, 40, 50 years ago. And routines can help that. But it's about actually sort of letting go of that a bit and and gradually just increasing the number of times that the dad has the responsibility for the child and it's a hard thing to do as the mum very well said yeah but I think that would be it would be a really interesting exercise to try that Mm, I think a lot of listeners will be able to recognize themselves there and to finish the conversation can you tell people where they can find out more about your work you mentioned before we came on that you're just in the process of writing a book how would they connect with you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, please, please do have a look at my webpage. So have, I'm at Oxford Brooks University. So you can just look at their website, look at Tina Miller or sociology and you'll find me. And there's more about my work. There's a list of publications. I've written a lot on you know transition to motherhood, transition to fatherhood, transition to parenthood. A paper that really comes to mind as we're talking is called, it's about choreographing care. And it's about maternal gatekeeping and paternal gatekeeping. And it really is this thing about how we let go and how we manage things. That's a really interesting paper. There's a radio program on there as well, which I made recently. I've made two programs for BBC Radio 4 Analysis. You can just look those up. One on modern parenting, 
which was two years ago, and then just most recently, a month ago or so, one on why do we assume women care? So yeah, lots of things to have a look at and be great if you do. Thank you so much, Tina. That was really absolutely wonderful. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it too. I hope this podcast has been useful to you, has given you new food for thought and maybe some new ideas. And if you'd like to get further involved, you could do that, for example, by joining our fellowship program. It's a really awesome career development program, which is all about making sure you can fulfill your career dreams while also having your little ones in tow and not feeling you have to apologize for it. You can find details about it on latestplus.org.uk. And, you know, in practical terms, you get access to inspirational role models. You get a personal senior leader mentor. You get support with practical challenges such as using, you know, how do you say no, managing your workload. But most importantly, it's going to give you time to think. In fact, it's going to make you think about what you want in your career and family life. And it's going to make you do that with some amazing peers who've all been carefully selected because they want to support other parents to continue to progress their careers, but also they're, you know, come from diverse backgrounds, but not be part of a supportive community. So if you want to join and have a chat and be part of something, I guess and the podcast is real, but something realer than the podcast, then please have a look on, on the platform. You can also get involved in our free events. So we have one coming up now, 11th of January, which is about returning to work after maternity, share parental adoption leave. If you are in that situation, it's free, so you can definitely check it out. If you're in that situation or your uh, your friends are, then please direct them there. All the details are on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash events. And thank you to everyone who's already supported me with this podcast. I've been really pleased to see how many people have shared it. If you believe that the world of podcasting should be slightly less male dominated and you think it's not okay that 70% or so of the top 10% of shows are run by male hosts, then I would be extremely grateful for your support. If you can share it with three to four friends or leave a five-star review, that would really help with the visibility and I'm super grateful for it. Thank you very much and see you next week.